Praise God. You may be seated. If you are below the age of 14, no. If Rock Church and Bridge, you are dismissed in Jesus' name, get out of here. Get out of here. Is anybody hungry? We still have bread left here. I am just joking. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see, we will. If you know it, sing it. When we all didn't raise your hand give you another chance how many want to go to heaven praise God you may be seated I want you to lock that song in your brain in your mind as like a tune that you hear at Walmart and you can't get out of your head when we all get to when we all get to what what a day of rejoicing that will be and when we all see we will and what are we going to do? We will. I'm glad you know it. Give yourselves a hand. Give yourself a hand. In the shadow of a century-old legacy, Irvin GQ Masters of Aerospace and Defense Solutions, they harbor a company in South Wales devoted to crafting parachutes for fearless paratroopers. You know, those daredevils leaping from planes as their life's calling. This, this company in South Wales has been saving lives for over 100 years of soldiers, sailors, and airmen through the magic of parachutes. The process is still almost entirely done, mind you, by humans using scissors and traditional sewing machines. And the threads woven by this very company would intertwine with the destiny of a man named Charles Plum, a U.S. jet fighter pilot thrust into the tumultuous skies of Vietnam. Plum was a violent, violent, valiant warrior, soared through 74 triumphant combat missions until his ominous 75th mission when his aircraft was shot down by enemy fire. 
With swift ejection, he descended into the clutches of the enemy, spending an agonizing six years within the confines of a Vietnamese prison. His return home after 2,190 seemingly endless days marked both liberation and reflection. When he returned home, a stranger approached, recognizing who Plum was as the jet fighter pilot from Vietnam's heartaches. Perplexed, Plum probed the stranger's intimate knowledge of his hearing experience. Basically, bro, I don't know you. How do you know me? The man with excitement revealed his identity as, and he said, I packed your parachute. He extended a handshake, exclaimed, I guess it worked. (laughs) In that very moment, Plum acknowledged the silent hero who, unbeknownst to him, held the strings of his survival. Plum assured him and said, if your shoot hadn't worked, I wouldn't be here today. The parachute packer's hands had woven the fabric of fate that allowed Plum to stand there at that moment recounting his story. Grateful, Plum pondered this, this, the countless times he might have even have crossed paths with this unknown fella, this unsung guardian, unaware of profound, the profound impact on his destiny. Now, as Plum shares his tale in crowded venues, he leaves with his audience a question that echoes from the corridors of fate and even in this room right now. Who's packing your parachute? The reality of saving the life of this veteran took a group of people to create the parachute that allowed for the impact that Plum would eventually make in the United States. Without a group of people harmoniously working together at different skills, different levels, different stages, Plum doesn't survive to tell the story. Now, brief research would reveal that the levels within the parachute process involves, number one, a quality expector, a production operator, Sowers of various kinds. I do not sew, but I would like to give it a try. I actually want to crochet one day, believe it or not. For real, it's in my dream. And skills of different types of processes. Then someone needs to package the parachute, process, and send the package parachute to the base. And then once, once at the base, someone needs to load the parachute on the plane. And then each parachute, paratrooper's parachute is expected by the qualified personnel to ensure it is properly packed and in good working condition. Then there's a parachute trigger, sorry, rigger whose responsibility is to ensure the safety of every paratrooper they work with. They inspect, test, and pack parachutes, their extraction and release systems, and all the associate components of the parachute system. They are responsible for the safety and repair of all parachute equipment before, during, and even after an airdrop operation. That one parachute, That one parachute was developed by a group of people dedicated for the safety of future lives. It would, and it went through many hands responsible in making just one parachute. The power of a group fixed with unwavering focus toward a goal is rather remarkable. The power of groups over the centuries have been a driving force shaping the course of history, influencing political landscapes, social structures, and cultures for the both good and bad. Groups have had significant impacts on humanity. 
Look at the civil rights movement as a group advocating for civil rights. It was a wave of people who fought against racial segregation and discrimination. The women's suffrage movement was a group campaigning for women's rights in the 19th and 20th centuries. Women kind of get an amen. The Red Cross and Doctors Without Borders was and is a group that provides essential aid and medical assistance. Even with negative impact and influence, groups like the Nazi Party under Adolf Hitler and the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin organized crime groups such as the Mafia and the cartels exemplify how a group can perpetuate violence, corruption, lead to widespread oppression, genocide, and human rights abuse. Abuses. Groups are just what they are. The groups in each of these moments and movements and groups started with an individual or perhaps a small group of people poised with a unified mission and purpose to make impact and have influence. God has a track record for calling people and groups to his mission and purpose. We know, we know that God holds high value on the impact a group can make by his statement found in the very first pages of Genesis when he speaks about a group of people laser-focused on building a tower high enough to reach the sky. He said in Genesis eleven six, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Behold, they are one people, and they all have one one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do. Nothing that they propose to do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. You see, when people get together, they have the propensity to do powerful things, either for good or for bad, positive or negative. But nonetheless, a group is much more powerful than anything anyone could ever do by themselves. This is why God called a group of people for himself, starting with Father Abraham had many sons from the land of Mesopotamia by faith, walking in the promises of God that he would make Abraham a nation. He would make him a group of people called and destined to make a positive, holy, and global impact to the world around them. God's mission and plan from that point in history has always, always involved a group of people. No matter how frail, no matter how fickle, no matter how faulty they are, a group of people to a accomplish his plan was always in the cards even in moments when he repented and had every man he had repented the creation of every man this group called mankind by washing them away in the flood we are still left with a group called Noah and his family to remain God still went back to a group to move history forward when the king of glory named Jesus we know his name he came wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger as a baby surrounded with musty dirty nasty barnyard animals. He had a plan to form a group he had called his disciples. He had called each one of them individually to, to eventually form a group that some have called Christ and his companions. And then with this group, he planned to empower and mold them to eventually birth an institution unlike anything the world has ever seen or will ever see again. And we call it today in the modern era a place much more than the four walls on a given Sunday we call this the church.
We call that group the church. It is to this church, Paul writes in his letter to the church located in Corinth, hinting toward what we just practically and spiritually experience today with communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, but the foster just read it for you, but let's read it again. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but it's actually for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together, when you come together as a church, I hear, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? I don't know if he had a high pitch, low pitch. What? Do you know, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Don't you have your own personal time or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? Nope, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks on the day he knew he was going to die, he broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do you know what you're doing? You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is talking to a specific group of people and discussing intimately about communion, a shared community a, a activity, a group participating event to a church in Corinth. The city of Corinth, like Kansas City, had a long history. And in Paul's day, it was a Roman colony that was a strategic location that brought business and trade. Now, the city was a multicultural for sure, as it included Romans, Greeks, Orientals, and Jews. The estimates of this population ranged from 100,000 to 600,000. Now, back in Paul's time, Corinth was buzzing with money. Lots of people coming and going and and well, not so great stuff, too. You see, in those days, many prostitutions, or they had prostitutions as a part of their worship ceremonies. Imagine that. Actually, don't imagine that. So naturally, the city had its fair share of people getting involved in not-so-great activities, including prostitution. Aristophanes, a Greek play writer, and more than likely would have had a YouTube uh, influence of over 60 million views today, depicts the city of Corinth with a certain vibe by stating that to act like a Corinthian was synonymous with committing fornication. To simply say that you were from Corinth meant to say it had a negative connotation 
they were guilty by association or at least guilty by city. Just living in the city itself, it would seem that you were already predetermined, predisposed. You've probably heard that before in politics, predisposed to act and think a certain way. And if that wasn't enough, the temple of Aphrodite perched atop a 1,900-foot mountain near Corinth called the Acrocorinthus, which was quite famous. And at this, at, this, at this shrine, numerous female slaves attended to men who participated in so-called worship. According to the Greek geographical Geographer Strabo, there was supposedly at least 1,000 prostitutes at some point, but some say this might have been an exaggeration, but with this city's reputation, it might have been under-exaggerated. Corinth also honored other major deities worshipped in their culture, one of which many here might recognize from Disney's depiction movie called The Little Mermaid, with Ariel, Sebastian, Flounder, and King Triton's father as Poseidon, the god of the sea. All of this is evident together suggests that Paul's Corinth was at one time considered to be the New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. If any church was in position, like the groups in the past, to make an impact, it was the Corinthian church. If there was ever a dark place that needed some life, Corinth was the place. If there was ever a group called to have influence over demonic and depressed and destitution, it was the church at Corinth, the church that Paul planted there in Corinth for 18 long months as pastor and shepherd of that flock. And in our text today, Paul is honing in on a group of people and hears about the impact they are having when they get together. He hears that there is issues or division in the church. He hears of another group inside the church called Chloe's people, that there were divisions among them. Paul starts with a slam dunk from half court and speaks plainly to them and says, I do not commend you because when you get together, it, it's not for the better, but actually, actually it's for the worse. In other words, Paul, without mincing words, tells them that your behavior when you get together is not worthy of a thumbs up. Basically, you have a Ph.D. in how to make things worse 101. You're good at it, and everyone's attending that class and passing with a high A. Nobody's failing this class right now, and I am not happy. And when Paul gets to the nitty-gritty specifics about what exactly is going on when they were getting together, this is what he says. Now, before we even get into that, we have to understand some customs and practices that they had in the church back in the day. It was very common in the early church when they would get together week by week, they would share a meal together. We call it an old-fashioned potluck. Anybody remember those? where sister so-and-so would bring her favorite dish everybody wants to have. And that gathering would be when they would have communion. Now, we typically do it like we did today by passing out pieces of bread or crackers and cups, and, and that's how we've chosen to honor and obey the Lord's command to take communion. But the way they did it back then was in the context of a potluck supper. 
And what the Corinthians did was just before everyone was telling their tummies it was time for dessert, someone had the afterthought bright idea that this would be a good time to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And they would pass out bread and pass out the cup. It was just an afterthought. It's similar to our conundrum when we go to the Mexican restaurant. Are you ready? I want to know in this room are, when you pray at the Mexican restaurant. Okay, ready? Because they bring out the chips, and they bring out the guac, and they bring out the, the salsa, and they bring out, uh, what's that, the cheese, what's that? Queso, thank you. Bring out the queso. And so my question to you is, who is pre-chip? Raise your hand. Who prays? Who's that spiritual person that prays pre-chip? Raise your hand high. Let people know you're spiritual. Okay? And, and who, who is post-chip? Yeah. You're post-chip. One more time, I want to make sure we get this. Uh, who's pre-chip? Not pre-trib. Pre-chip? Pre-chip? Everyone get it? These are the spiritual ones. Post-chip. Post-chip. There you go. We got pictures to see who does it, who prays. Now, listen, they had much more bigger problems of division than that, but that's how they would do it. It was just kind of an afterthought. I'll pray probably post-chip. For them, when they got together, they, they were divided. And therefore, when they held communion in significance of what it represented, not only to them, but to the world all of that, the communion process, when they got together, was tuned out by their own ambitions and selfishness. Paul continues to talk about the potluck. He's not done. You may recognize this from a few potluck experiences you've had over the years at church or even job potlucks. You know those people up in the front of the line with spork and styrofoam, plate in hand? They load up with three pieces of chicken thighs, dark meat. Two massive scoops of potatoes. The macaroni and cheese is oozing off the plate, and the multiple rolls are rolling off the plate. And there's a sliver, there's a sliver of green beans hidden underneath the cornbread. And I will not fail to mention the salad bowl in their left hand as they juggle to their saved seat a few paces away. We don't have those people here at Refuge. Nope, nope. But, but you know what I'm talking about, though, or at other places. It's at other places. And when, and when you get about 15 of those ladies, I mean gentlemen, through the lines, what's left for the people that's after them? Not much of anything. Some of y'all are glad I'm tackling some of these issues today. But, again, we don't have that here at Refuge. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But this was a massive this was a massive and major issue for Paul's planted church in Corinth as it would probably leave a bad taste, pun intended, for those who left hungry that day, especially associating their experience with that of the Lord's Supper. And Paul is not happy. He's not giving out high fives or clicking the heart symbol on their Instagram page. No. Instead, he wrote a pastoral comment in their feed. And according to a verse later on in the chapter, he would leave a rather scathing report in the DM later. We have to understand. We have to understand why Paul is completely perplexed. 
He saw that their internal problems, especially one that represented their very identity as the people of God. Jesus' death on the cross, taking on the judgment of God for their sins by this split, split, split bud and broken body. It was affecting their external opportunities to affect change. Their internal problems were infecting Infecting and affecting their ability to affect the outside world. Their ability to affect the physical, emotional, mental, financial, and spiritual world for transformation was in jeopardy because they were not all together when they were together. It is one thing to have a massive group come and gather. It is another thing more. It's a more powerful phenomenon when those same people are unified. Paul continues to share his comments in the Instagram feed in verse 23 and 24. For I, I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said this this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Please do this in remembrance of me. Paul shares with the church at Corinth that he speaks from experience. And his desire as a leader is to help them recall what Jesus was wanting them to recall and to recall often. Jesus told the disciples that evening in his last supper to remember him and what he had done on Calvary. How his body was broken for their transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He wanted them to remember what happened for six hours on one dark Friday when darkness covered the sky. And the Roman soldiers whipped his back where his face was bloodied, bruised, and unrecognizable. He wanted them to remember not for the trauma and not even even for the drama, but for the covenant that he was making as his covenant-keeping God we love to sing and shout about. Paul continues to share the second half of the communion process as Pastor Foster so greatly led us in detailing what Jesus did and that he chose us. He chose you instead of his own comfort. For the next statement, Jesus utters is worth remembering in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I want you to understand the significance of what he was doing. This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He wanted them to remember. He wanted the church to remember that there was a new covenant. And because of that covenant, there's a now a new plan of salvation for their souls. He wanted them to remember because the memory would invoke in the person that was reflecting on that day. A holy reverence, a repentance, a restoration, a reconciliation, a certain godlike 
all that could melt a heart of stone. That's what happens when we get together. Bring someone back into relationship with him. Remind the addict that there is not, they are not too far gone. It reminds the broken in body or in the spirit that there was one that was broken for them. It reminds the wounded that there was someone that could empathize with them. This is the thing that happens when we get together and what happens in communion is more than electrifying that provides goosebumps to the guest or seasoned saints but it is spiritual and it has the ability to impact those who partake and those who look in so first corinthians eleven twenty six. for as often as you eat it notice how paul is talking about as often he's assuming they're going to get together often He's assuming that that's the plan that he's saying, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. Do you know what you're doing? You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he come. The inspired letter from Paul as the word from God is illuminating the fact to the Corinthian church that when they get together, they are doing more than they thought. They are doing more than they thought. They are declaring the Lord's death until he comes, which means every time they got together, they were displaying the magnificent, glorious, undisputed champion of the world's death and triumph over sin. They were declaring the death of Jesus Christ. They were demonstrating to one another and to the world that this is more fact than feeling that Christ did in fact die. Christ did, in fact, die for the sins of humanity. Paul was speaking harshly to an imperfect group of people called the church. Would the church say amen? The church, there isn't a perfect church. Refuge certainly isn't one of them. If you thought so, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It was probably perfect before I showed up. Just joking. Just joking. A typical routine unaware here at refuge might go something like this i'll be off a minute or two 12:45 ish hope they're not watching 12:45 ish we mo- we mosey inside the building with guitar in hand and song in the heart the music is practiced from 1 to 140 on a really good day everybody is perfectly pitched and music is clicking on all cylinders meanwhile the coffee is brewing for those not yet awake at 2 p.m. imagine that the refuge kids the refuge kids team is bustling to ensure they're ready for the day the greeters are posted at each door the refuge fam is moving about the cabin freely our wonderful youth pastors are preparing the room for the building for bridge and and the photography the photography team is snapping and clicking everybody's smiling face or not so smiling face the pastor is in the office making the finest final touches on the sermon and the announcing host is ready getting ready to go over the announcements and then the second hand strikes 12 and two o'clock has arrived and the service begins this is all routine any group can prepare for an event Any group can ready the space for any event, any experience or moment. But what makes us different than any other group 
is when the announcing host begins to pray and the first note on the guitar and keyboard filters in the room. The voices of the saints come together in one mind, one spirit, one motive, one purpose with zeal and passion. Something happens that's electrifying in the building at the culmination of all that preparation as Jesus enters the room as he did on the day of Pentecost. This is a four-part cross-reference question worth 71 points. Question, please quote Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with what? One accord. They were all with what? One accord. Continue, continue. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. They were all what? Filled. So when they all got together, everybody got filled? Yes. So when they were all together, everybody got filled? That is correct. Keep, keep, keep going, keep going. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me look. Judges? That is correct. You see, when the church of God gets together, we proclaim the Lord's death. When the church of God gets together, lives are transformed. When the church of God gets together, something supernatural transpires. When we lift our voice declaring his goodness, his faithfulness, his deliverance, his peace, his love. When we get together in his name, broken family structures are restored. Marriages are restored. When we get together, not because of who we are, but because of the fourth man in in the fire that is what happens when we get together and it's driven by love when we get together something electric takes place that no other group can replicate nobody is like us can the church say amen other groups cannot replicate that when they get together people come out of wheelchairs and i can say to you that could happen today that could happen today will the church of the living god say amen that when we get together, cancer has no more dominion. When we get together, back pain is relieved. Am I speaking to somebody in the house? When we get together, when we get, will the real church of the living God please stand up? Will the real church of the living God please stand up? Because when we get together, when we get together, death takes a long vacation. When we get together, when we get together. Because when they got together, 120 people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But the external result was 3,000 souls were waiting on the outside. When we get it together in here, we affect the change externally. Be seated, be seated. None of this, none of this, none of this makes sense to any other group. For the church of the living God is very unique and separate from any other group. He made it that way when Peter was inspired to write in his epistle. And he wrote, but you, 2, 9 through 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, anybody glad about that? Who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? 
And then he goes on, once you were not a people. There was a moment where you weren't a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. When, on one of his old cassettes, Lee Stone King was, was, was preaching, and he began to sing a song that I haven't heard anyone sing in a long time. But he goes like this. We're a happy people, yes we are. We're a happy people, yes we are. Been baptized in Jesus' name, spoken tongues we're a happy people, yes we are. Again, say, we're a happy people, yes we are. Woo! We're a happy people, yes we are. Been baptized in Jesus' name, spoken tongues. We're Black, white, tan, red, yellow, brown, or blue. No matter your race, color, creed, or nationality. When you were baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, you are a part of a group. You are a part of a coalition. You are a part of a movement like no other. We are a group like no other. Therefore, when we get together, we don't act like other groups. We don't speak like other groups. We don't praise like other groups. We don't talk like other groups. We don't worship like other groups. Because when we get together and we commune with our God, we remember when we take the cracker or the bread, our mind is taken back to recall his body was broken for my sins. This, this memory swells up an emotional response that determines the level of your worship, it determines the level of your praise. It's the culmination of when a group of people remember how God, how good God has been. And then we respond in faith. It will always be transformative. When a collective group of people say, I, if it had not been for the Lord, I wouldn't be here. And when... When you do it, you do it, you do it, you do it, you do it. And we all do it at the same time. Do you know what happens? Do you know what happens? When 120 people are filled and 3,000 people are affected. That's what happens when we all get together. All get together. This is a seven, this is question number 25 is a 71 point question. Question. Please quote Acts chapter 4 verse 31 through 33. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. What? What were they doing? They were assembled where? They were assembled together. Start over. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they spake the word of And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. No, quote it the way you know it. Quote it the way you know it. Quote it the way you know it. Again. Go ahead. I don't want to mess you up. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken when they were assembled together. Uh And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. So when they were together, everybody got filled? Yes, sir. Okay, continue. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he Uh possessed was his own, but they had all things common. That is correct. Give him a hand. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection. There it is again. They were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what happened? And great grace was upon them all. 
When we all get together, what a day of redemption we will see. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout for victory. We will praise and we will pray in unity. We will love in word and indeed for all the world was to see when we all get together. Is there a church of the living God here today that's willing to get together? Martin Luther King had a dream that is the very reality of the church in his I Have a Dream speech when he read from Isaiah 40 and speaking about one that would come whose name is Jesus that would create a reality where unity was possible when he said, and I quote, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. He continued to unshakably say, this is our hope. This is our faith. With this faith, we will be able to hew out the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation. Yes, I said our nation. Yes, I said our nation even now into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, he continued on. We will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will one day be free. This is what the church was designed to do and be. The hope of the world is the blood-bought, heaven-bound, obedient, believing, spirit-filled, covenant-keeping church of the living God. ML Key's dream was God's prayer. For even Jesus, even Jesus prayed for us that this his self-identifying people called by his name in John 17 didn't give it to you, that we would be one. James Wilson, a prolific songwriter and good friend, pins the words in his song called Hine Matov, which is the very first words in Hebrew that continues to read, How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And then he created this wonderful, wonderful bridge that says, when we're together, nothing can stop the kingdom of God from seeing revival. When we're together, nothing can stop the kingdom of God from seeing revival. When we're together, nothing can stop the kingdom of God from seeing revival. When we're together, nothing can stop the kingdom of God from seeing revival but there is a way for us to come together and not have spiritual impact Paul calls this division we may be able to have an emotional impact with semi-dynamic worship sets that causes our feelings to propel us to a life, to a better social life. Other groups can do that. Or perhaps subtly impact the mental health of others with a well-crafted sermon or speech that speaks to the mind and possibly to the heart to live better. Other groups have done that. We may be even to impact the economical elements of someone's personal life by providing benevolent funds financially. Other groups can do that with greater resources than we have. 
but we will never impact the spiritual environment when we are divided. Other groups do not have a CEO named Jesus that has spiritual answers for every facet of human life. We cannot impact this arena when we are divided. Let me not suggest that we are anything like the Corinthian church, perhaps everything but. But one thing we know about ourselves, if we are honest with ourselves, that we are a church that's filled with imperfect people serving a very perfect God. The glorious design church was the creation that was built to have apostolic influence and impact in the world. If you came in this building today, you have experienced the church. If you found yourself in a small group where the power of God fell or the Cheetos fell on the table during game night, you have experienced the church. If you feel alone, broken, abandoned, insecure, afraid, like a failure, and too far fallen, you are surrounded by an AI-generated people group called the church that was uniquely designed to pack your parachute. So every time you fall and fail, it is there to guide and help you with the help of the Spirit of God. It is why we offer moments at this front area we call an altar where God can transform you and the church can pray with you and be there for you. There is a church that is packing your parachute today, but this is only possible. People only feel this explosive apostolic impact and influence when we are together. <clears throat> we are together. <clears throat> I came up here and I wanted to pray. Of course, you want to pray for the service and I asked God what... What is unity really? And what kind of stops it? And this is what I believe he told me. He says, when preference and perspective triumph over purpose, that group will always be divided. But when purpose triumphs over perspective and prejudices and perspectives and you name it, and purpose is the key priority. That group, by definition, is united. I'll say that again. When our personal preferences and perspectives triumph over the purpose of any group, that group is by definition divided. But when a group puts the purpose over any perspective, in preferences, that group is unified. God's purpose has always been people. Therefore, when we are laser focused on his purpose, we have the propensity to make a powerful impact on people in a transformative way. Paul shares this same, shares to the same Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty words, no, or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling for those 18 months. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. But ready? 
but demonstration of the Spirit and power. Paul essentially is saying that talk is cheap, but demonstration is worth more in the commerce of reality because it actually and practically impacts lives. Demonstration of God's Spirit, as you saw through the text of Scripture, only happens when we are together. Please stand. Are you willing, are you willing to lay aside all personal preferences and perspectives that tower, tower over the overarching purpose of Christ's passion, which has always been people? Do we really want, do we really want unity here? Because that is true communion. That is communion. When we get together with God and God gets together with us and we remember all that he has done, it moves us forward toward his purpose. I'll ask it in another way. I'll come through the back door. How many would love to see what happened? We have about 170, 180 people here. I don't know. Let's just assume we have 120. We'll go with that. How many would love to see the consequence of getting together? How many would love to see 3,000 people? At, at the end of this service, you know, 3,000 people are out the door and we're like trying to figure out what to do. How, raise your hand. You want that, right? Well, that's the flip side of the question because if you really want that, you got to fix in here first. We're going to two different locations. And in those locations, the enemy will do everything in his power to divide us. Who we are, there will be undercurrents that you may not see. And so what I want us to do, Brother, Brother, Brother Foster, the first thing we are going to do, we're not going to come and, and pray for, for, for ourselves. I want you to hold the hand of the person next to you. Hold the hand of the person next to you. And I want you to pray that there would be a spirit of unity that flows through here right now. Hear me, I'm serious, that a spirit of unity would flow through here like a stream. Because that same stream out of your belly will flow rivers of water. If you want that stream to come out of here, it's got to come out of you first. I want Brother, Brother Foster, if you come, he's going to pray over you. And he's going to pray a, a prayer of unity over this church. As he so aptly, he didn't even know what I was preaching, but he had the same spirit. I want him to pray unity over this church right now. Would you do that? Let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, right now, God, we come before you, Father. God, and we're asking for unity of purpose, God. God, a unity that only you can give us, God. A unity that only comes from the Father in heaven. Lord, we pray that this would be a church that's unified above everything else, God. Lord, that this would be a church, God, whose every, every part of the body in this church sees themselves as efficacious and operating in the way that you designed for it to operate, God. 
Let there be no personal agendas in this place, God. Oh, Lord, let us see one another through the eyes of love and compassion, God. Let us see one another, God, through the eyes of Calvary, Jesus, God. That if there be any offense, God, we would fall on each other's necks and weep, God, and pray and touch God through our brother and sister in Christ, God. There is no unity without love, and there is no unity without purpose, God. And Lord, we must be unified for us to walk in the next season that you have designed for us to walk in, God. You have called and laid before us, God, an open door that no man can shut, God. You're going to do things in the life of this church that cannot be done unless we are completely unified, God, as the early church was unified, God. So let us be one voice, God, in one accord, God, calling out to God through our brother and sister in Christ, God. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I just feel right now that there's an anointing that wants to fall in this place right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus right now. God, let nothing, God, stop the flow of the Spirit, God, right now. Let there be perfect unity in the Spirit, God, we pray. Oh, God, a lost world depends on it, God. A lost and a dying world depends on us walking in unity and in love, God. Come on, come on, let's pray for unity here. God, we want to see the miraculous, but it's not until we get together. It's not until we get in one mind, one purpose. Lord, I'm telling you right now, I want to get my perspectives out of the way. I want to get my perceptions out of the way. I want to get my prejudices out of the way. I'm here, and I want to be unified today. Until it lifts right here. Let's pray until it lifts right here. Jesus, we need to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Now, now before we go to the next thing. Before we even get to the community part, the Bible says bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. There was a, there was a list a mile long of what God has done with the church. I'm telling you today that if there be unity in God sees it happening, there is nothing he cannot do in this place. Hear me. There is nothing he cannot do. But before we do that, I wonder if we could... Take a moment, and your neighbor, if they have a need, ask them. Let's go ahead and ask. If you have a need, you got a problem, you want to, this is what happens when we bear one another's burdens. Hey, what can I pray with you for? Let's take a couple of moments and let's ask each other what that could be.
what that could be. we know what that is raise your hand if you know what the need is raise your hand if you know what the need is everyone's still talking raise your hand if you know what the need is okay we know what the need is now listen hear me very carefully hear me very carefully I want you to pray for that need as if it was your own pray for that need as if it was your own are you ready Come on, lift your voice and begin to pray for your partner. Go ahead right now. God, we're praying for every soul, every person in this place. God, we're asking that whatever it is that they ask for, whatever it is the need is, God, we pray specifically for that. I'm praying for my neighbor. I'm loving for my neighbor. I want, to, I want them to succeed. I want them to have success. I want them to have exactly what it is. Bible says that when they had prayed, the place was shaken together. It was shaken. Whatever it is, God, we bind it. Whatever it is, God, we're believing for it. Whatever it is, God, we know your hand is on it. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is.